is the episode you've all been waiting for. The Summer Weather Outlook on the Weather Jazz Podcast. Hi, everybody. Welcome to Weather Jazz on this Monday. It's a world audience podcast about anything and everything weather, science, earth science, long range forecasts like today, and even some off topic subjects from time to time. I'm your host and the creator of the Weather Jazz podcast, Andre Bernier. I'm the senior meteorologist on staff with WJW Television in Cleveland, Ohio. And this is episode number 185 for Monday, May 3rd, 2021. And today we are going to be talking about the summer weather outlook. And for those of you unaware, we do this twice a year. Typically, we'll revisit this and do some tweaking as we go deeper and deeper into the summer and or winter season. But initially, a lot of people are kind of interested, as we're right on the precipice of summer, what we can anticipate. So that's what we'll be doing today. My guest today is none other than morning meteorologist at WJW Television, my colleague, Scott Sable. And uh, Scott is very active in many respects, diving into the teleconnections. What are teleconnections? Those are, simply put, indicators around the globe as to what the long-range pattern or the general weather pattern will be going into a specific season. So without further delay, we're just going to dive right into this episode, and it deals with the summer weather outlook, not only here in the Ohio Valley, but also on a broad scale for the entire country, just in case you are listening from somewhere outside of Ohio. And we're so grateful for all of the listeners all across the USA and across the globe, too. So let's dive in. Here's my conversation this morning with Scott Sable. Hey there, Scott. Welcome to Weather Jazz. Audrey, nice to talk to you. All right. uh, Let's get right down to the nitty gritty. Uh, this is probably the second most popular uh, series that we do. The, the first is the winter. There, there just seems to be something about winter that everybody wants to know. How much snow? Is it going right. to be cold or is it going to be mild winter? Uh, probably the impacts have a lot to do with it. Uh, but the second most popular is the summer one. And I suspect uh, that we're going to be getting a lot of traffic. And uh, some folks might have not actually had the chance to watch the summer weather outlook that we did on WJW television. And it's on our website if anybody uh, wants to see it. But here's a chance. See, we're confined in, in TV to three minutes, so we have to package it up in a real neat format. But it's interesting because you have graphics. Uh, here, it's just audio, but we get to open it up maybe uh, in a way that you can't do on television. So there are advantages to both. And maybe somebody watched the video, watched our TV segment, but they want to open it up even more. So let's go ahead and do that. Uh, the summer 
weather outlook. Let's get down to the basics first and foremost. It is not like the winter uh, weather outlook, but there are some similarities. Let's go ahead and dig into the similarities first, and then maybe after the break, we'll get into the nuances and differences between the winter weather outlook and the summer weather outlook. Go ahead. So the similarities are that this past winter, we had, in fact, you go back to even last fall, even really late last summer, we had the beginnings of a La Nina pattern in the equatorial Pacific. Uh, opposite of an El, an El Nino. El Nino means you have warm water in the Eastern Pacific or in varying positions along the equator, roughly. And a La Nina is when you have below normal temperatures, when you look at the averages over 20 or 30 years. And you can do a Google search and get a, a kind of a tutorial on what La Nina is. But we saw it developing last winter. And you have always have to be careful when you go that far out, because sometimes you go out four, five, six, seven months. And sometimes the computer projections, they don't handle those type of large-scale global circulation and, and oceanic patterns very well. So that kind of gives you some history here. We had a La Nina this past winter, mm-hmm. and it, it was mm-hmm. pretty much locked in. And there's different flavors of La Nina. It, just like El Nino, it can be a weak La Nina, a moderate or a stronger La Nina. And it can also vary depending upon where the cold water is situated. If it's east, central, a mixture of both, I call them different flavors. And that was what we had this past winter. This summer, the La Nina, or this spring and early summer, the La Nina is still here. Mm-hmm. And, you know, like you talked about, you know, one, what we call a teleconnection can mean one thing in the winter, but it can mean something totally different in the summer. So La Nina is the big, uh, the, uh, the big um, uh, element that uh, has been, been really driving the weather patterns overall. There are others but really the big driver since um, really since September, October, November. And here we are talking about this in early May. Now, it seems like if you have a La Nina like we have this year, there are some more serious uh, implications for our long-term pattern than there would be if there were either a neutral or a La Nada or an El Nino. They don't affect the summer as much as a La Nina does here in the U.S. Am I correct or not? Explain the the nuances of that. So with a La Nina, and I go back to, I believe it was 2000, I want to say it was 2011. You know, in springtime in 2011, we we were in a decent La Nina, and that produced, and there's a big connection between La Nina spring and early summer and severe weather and tornado outbreaks in the middle of the country. And so there's a big, you know, impact to the United States, too, that, um, you know, doesn't always happen. But it's something that, you know, you and I were talking about, something that we're watching now that we're heading into severe weather season. You know, April, we hardly had any tornadoes. I mean, it was one of the least uh, tornadic Aprils in in recent years. And Mm -hmm. now we're heading into Mm -hmm. May and we're starting to see, I'm jumping ahead here, but we're starting now to see some elements that are like, okay, May might not be nearly as friendly with severe weather. And it's a pattern that, you know, could very well continue into, uh, into early summer. So, you know, severe weather is one that is more frequent in, in La Nina versus, say, in El Nino. Now, March uh, started off on a really uh, active note, and it looked like it would be a wild severe weather year until April arrived. So this pattern has been 
just absolutely filled with nuances which go outside the norms of a La Nina pattern. It is. And one of the big um, one of the big little wrenches in the pattern, too, has been the MJO, the Madden Julian operation. Mm, right, also, right. You know, circumnavigates the, the equator and it goes in eight phases. It starts in phase one, which is near Africa, and then it goes west to east like clockwork into phase eight. And then it kind of goes back around. Um, you know, the magnitude of that MJO um, also has significant impact or has significant um, uh, can impact significantly the global circulation pattern. And that's on top of the La Nina that already exists. And so over the last couple of weeks, we've been watching the MJO and the magnitude of the MJO has been incredibly high. It's gone from phase, I believe it was phase seven. Now we're into phase eight, and then it's going to come back around to phase one. And if you look at the connections to the MJO in a La Nina like this, you know, it has connected extremely well to the cold pattern that we had in the middle of April. Remember, we had snow in, in the middle of April. We had a week's worth of temperatures in the 70s and 80s, the second week of April. Mm -hmm. And now we're starting mm -hmm. to trans transition kind of out of that a little bit. You know, we've had temperatures that have been a little warm, a little cool, but we haven't had the big extreme for long periods of time. So when I look at the MJO right now, it seems to be curling back into phase one and phase two, which would be considered, um, and I got to look at the connections here, um, but the magnitude of, of the MJO seems to be a little less, a little less than what it was. So if that happens over the next couple of weeks, we could be looking at the MGO, maybe not impacting the weather nearly as much, the overall pattern. And you might end up seeing the La Nina pattern, which has been the umbrella pattern, really start to take over here in the next two to three to four weeks. And that might set the stage for the summer overall. Now, one of the elements of the MGO this year is that when it got into phase seven, it stayed there. I mean, it just kind of locked in there and went into a high amplitude loop and it stayed in uh, phase seven. And uh, how often does that progression stop in one phase? That's a really good question. And if you go back and look, it, it, it does happen a lot in La Nina's when you go back and look. I'd have to go back to see, the, um, you know, back in like some of these moderate La Nina's back in like the last 20 years to see, but... Um, to see some of the specific years, but it does happen from time to time. And, you know, like you said, when they get locked in like that, sometimes it's very difficult for the pattern to get, uh, you know, your persistence, right? It gets persistently mm -hmm. locked in like that. You need some sort of trigger to break the dam free in order for the pattern to get, you know, it, it's almost like, you know, you, you have a stream in your backyard, you put a bunch of rocks in the stream. It takes a while for those rocks to leave and for the stream to get back to normal, I guess. And, um, you know, this might be a situation, too, where, you know, like you said, it was locked into phase seven, phase eight, high amplitude since, you know, April into early May. And we might start to see now this pattern, you know, become a little more, little more fluid um, mm -hmm. where they didn't mm -hmm. much of a driver. So, um, you know, it, it's going to be interesting to see. The other thing we're watching, too, is, you know, if the MJL becomes less of a driver, you have the you have another the northern branch of the jet stream over the northern Pacific. You can kind of see some of these waves becoming more frequent right through the middle of the Pacific. I'm just visualizing the map that I was looking at this morning. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. if that type of pattern were to continue and we start seeing, you know, a couple of these other patterns with the La Nina summer line up, you know, we could be looking at, 
you know, an interesting ride here in the next six to eight weeks. And one more element before we take a break about a La Nina pattern, typically that means a pretty active Atlantic hurricane season and a less active Pacific season. Uh, are you seeing the same thing as uh, perhaps uh, I did when I just looked at the La Nina pattern thinking, hey, this could be another one of those really heavy Atlantic hurricane season years? I agreed. And I think it would be a situation where we start to see tropical systems developing a lot earlier. You know, we've seen them developing in the last several years. We've seen them developing, you know, before the traditional beginning of hurricane season. But we could be looking at, you know, July, uh, June, July and early August. You know, we could start to see these, these tropical systems really start to pop up, um, you know, even if the La Nina weakens. And it looks like it will to probably something a little more neutral into the fall doesn't necessarily mean that the pattern all of a sudden just stops. Usually there's a lag of a couple of months before mm-hmm. money gets out of the mm-hmm. global circulation. So, yeah, this could be a pretty rough ride, especially at the beginning of hurricane season. Yeah, we went into the Greek alphabet last year. Does this mean we go into the Greek alphabet again this year? It could. It, interesting. I think, it, you know, if that happens, obviously, it would be in October and November. But uh, right. it's always interesting to see those Greek letters pop up. You know, you, as long as they occur, any tropical systems, as long as they occur in the middle of the ocean at that point, don't affect people. Then it's nice to see because it's fun to talk about. But hopefully we don't have any of those big storms, you know, those big, um, you know, category three, four hurricanes deeper into October like we've had, in, you know, in, in recent years. We'll see what happens. All right, let's take a a quick break. And when we come back, we'll get into the implications for Northeast Ohio, where most of our listeners are, and maybe some of the implications for the rest of the country, too. For those of you listening outside of Ohio, we have plenty of those uh, folks as well. So when we come back, we'll uh, dive into some of the nuances of the summer 2021 coming up. Okay, we're back, and it's time to dig into the specifics. We gave you the the overall look of this wonderful Sunday, and now it's time to dress it up. It's time to dress it up with the chocolate sauce, with the the candy cherry on top, or maybe some sprinkles on it. And uh, let's go ahead and dress it up the way we think we're going to see this Sunday develop as we head into. The summer. See, I'm making you hungry, right, Scott? Yeah, I know. I just, yeah, I had a big meal on Sunday, too, and now I got to go eat leftovers. <laughs> All right, let's dive in and let's start first with the two features that you identified that might be somewhat permanent features of this summer's weather pattern. That is the Bermuda High, and that's something that everybody's heard of uh, to some degree or another, pun intended. And then, of course, you have the Sonoran High, which is in the desert southwest off of Baja, California. The two are going to dictate, perhaps, and potentially, where the severe weather is going to concentrate uh, this summer? Absolutely. And this is, you know, a feature of La Nina is is the southeast ridge or the southeast Bermuda High. You know, and you look at La Nina is not all of them, but a lot of them in the last 25 years or so, you end up seeing some sort of southeastern ridge develop. And usually we see it developing sometime in the middle of May. Sometimes it's delayed. And if it's delayed, sometimes you see it pop in June. 
as these heights really build. And when that happens, it's like, oh, oh, here's the heat all of a sudden. Uh, so that's one element we're watching. Again, the desert southwest, the Sonoran High we're watching. We're watching not only the strength of them individually, but whether or not they come together. And sometimes, doesn't happen all the time, but they can merge and they can kind of pulsate back and forth. So it's almost like two roller coasters that slide together and, you know, come together and kind of swing back and forth. And what lurks in the middle usually is some sort of trough. And usually that's where we're going to see, uh, where we do see storm systems develop. And I think that's going to be the pattern we see this summer. We're going to end up seeing the Bermuda high take over. You'll start to see it pulsate north. We'll start to see some heat return. I remember last year when we had snow on May 11th, everyone was like, oh, where's summer? We're not going to see a 90. And sure enough, in, the, in three weeks after that, we, we the Bermuda high popped. And it wasn't even in La Nina. And we ended up getting you know, 90s in early June. So I think that's going to happen. And I think the position of these highs, depending upon how strong the La Nina gets in the middle of summer, now it's relatively strong now, but it is weakening um, briefly, will determine where that trough sets up in the middle of the country. I think we're going to have severe weather in the middle of the country more often than not. I think the position of this high, at least early on in May, we're already seeing that now, and in June, will be right on the top of the ridge. And I think that's going to allow frequent weather systems to travel through the middle of the country in the Ohio Valley and give us frequent chances of rain at the very least. Um, you know, I was also looking back at other July or other uh, La Ninas, and, and there, there have been four or five, and I only went back to 1996, so 25, 30 years. And sure enough, every one of those years, and I know it's only statistic, a statistical comparison, but it was a very active severe weather season in July, very active July. So it's something I think we're going to have to watch to see whether or not we see severe weather starting up, you know, a little bit in May, maybe a let up in June, and then maybe the pattern becomes more active in July. Something that I think we're really going to have to watch. Now, when those two systems merge together, the Sonoran High and the Bermuda High, and it almost seems to flatten out the whole pattern across the whole country, shifting the main jet stream up into Canada with only little ripples at the very, very top, mm -hmm. will that affect the Ohio Valley in the sense that in the sense of, uh, of taking the severe weather in the Midwest and shoving it northeast or will it ripple just barely touching Ohio? What do you think for this year? I think what happens is I think we initially see some severe weather and I think eventually as we hit into July our, our severe weather will start to spike a little bit and then we'll start to see that uh, the ridge become stronger. Uh, that's mm -hmm. my gut, gut feeling, and it will start to shift maybe some of the severe weather further right back in the middle of the country and back up to the north. Again, staying power with this, I'm still a little cautious. I, I, I have a feeling that this ridge might end up flattening out just enough to allow for some nocturnal thunderstorms, you know, some of those warm fronts that are always real tricky. Um, I, have a, I have a hunch that that's going to happen more often this summer. I know it happened a lot last June. I remember last June, we had a lot of nocturnal type thunderstorms, but it was very warm and very humid. Um, but I think this has, I think the La Nina, if it does weaken, and I think it will, will start to spike again. And so if you like hot weather, I still think um, you know, mm -hmm. we're going to see our fair share of hot weather this summer. All right, before we head into temperature, and you hinted at that, and for those that watched Fox 8 News uh, during our uh, summer weather outlook reveal, 
know that we are predicting a warmer than normal summer. And we really gauge that with the number of 90 degree days that we see. That seems to be a good barometer, again, pun intended. But um, before we head back into that, we are really at a, a quite a, a deficit for rainfall. Now, we're, we're making up some of that ground in recent, uh, the recent seven days and again this week. But chances are we'll still be lagging a little behind in terms of that. Are we going to catch up with the July, potential July active pattern? Uh, or will this be maybe just a little drier than normal when you average in June and August? I think we're going to do a fair amount of catching up this month. Um, mm-hmm. Whether or not we go above normal overall, you know, there's different ways, ways of measuring it. You know, you can look at overall rainfall. But, you know, when you're talking about the growing season, you're talking about soil moisture. And you're right, right. Mm-hmm. Talking about you know, the Palmer Drought Severity Index, which is something that's much longer, uh, you know, uh, something that takes into account a lot more, uh, you know, longer um, periods of time. Um, but, you know, it's interesting because you compare where we were last year to this year. Last year, we were well above normal rainfall. And a lot of the corn crop didn't get in until a little later. This year, you know, we didn't have, we didn't have as much snow as what we thought. It was back-ended. You know, snow melt doesn't always necessarily, um, you know, help the soil because when it melts down, it's not as much moisture as what you think, even though we did get some snow here in the last couple of weeks. But, you know, you don't want to head into the in, into spring without significant soil moisture. The rain that we're getting this week will help. I think we'll get a couple of showers next week too, a couple of systems Sunday and Monday. But we start to see that ridge popping the middle of next week, about 10 days out. The one thing you don't want to have happen if you don't like hot weather is that the drier the ground, typically over larger areas, we're talking multiple states, the drier the ground, that tends to feed the Bermuda high and it has a feedback loop, right? So if you mm-hmm. start seeing this dry weather and we don't make up dry ground, make up the deficit, you know, this they could really feed the ridge and also feed uh, our prospects have seen 90 much faster than if the ground were wet. That's something that we'll have to have to watch here in the next uh, four or six weeks. Some of the empirical evidence uh, of the fact that we are starting out dry this year is the fact that at least for us, uh, our backyard has been relatively dry. We've been able to mow the lawn in places that typically in April we can't. Uh, you know, the weight of the lawnmower uh, frequently in, in April will get stuck in a lot more areas. Not so this year. There are only a few spots where the ground was soft, but the rest of it was as hard as a rock. Uh, and so empirically, we have uh, the dry ground and all this rain that we get this week anyway, I think will go into the ground and uh, it won't spongify, if I can use that word. It won't spongify the ground. It'll go into the ground because it needs it badly. Okay, well, let's dive into temperature now. Um, and the the number of days that we go 90 and above, and you have to look at this any every which way you can. The 50-year average is 11 days now. The 20-year average is 13 days, but the 10-year average is 15. So in the last 10 years, that that has had a perhaps a temporary bump up. So let's use 13 for the 20 years a year average. Number of 90 degree days above, below, we're going 
considerably above. Mm-hmm. Is that because of the Bermuda High and the La Nina? Correct. Yes, absolutely. Yes and yes to both of those. I think that, that ridge is going to pop and, um, you know, you're going to see some 90s here before you know it. It might not necessarily be in the middle of May. It might, you know, it might, it might be Memorial Day and you'll probably wonder where's, where's the 90s? You know, this happened mm-hmm. last year. And mm-hmm. then you'll start to see, uh oh, here we go, 83, 84, 86, 88. You'll start to see the heat build heading into uh heading heading into June. Um if I remember correctly, we didn't have as many 90 degree days in June last year as as I thought we would. But last year and the year before, a lot of the heat was back ended as well. We saw a lot right. of heat in August, even heat into September, which yep. technically, you know, that's still summer and we're almost heading into fall. But you know, you know, don't uh don't be a bit surprised if we see some deeper into the year. Uh, but yeah, I think we're going well above normal. You know, you mentioned 13 is the average. I wouldn't be a bit surprised if we have between 20 and 25, you know, days above 90, um, you know, this year. Mm-hmm. And uh, as you mentioned, a lot of it, I think, will be on the back end uh, because uh, recently with this kind of a pattern, it seems like the 90s uh, lag not only into early, but even mid and even a couple of stray places late June or late September, late September. Well, what about the rest of the country now? Let's uh, treat the whole country and uh, those that are listening from all over the U.S. What are we seeing in terms of uh, a temperature pattern for this summer? I think most of the eastern half of the country, you'll have temperatures above normal. I think you're looking at from our, our neck of the woods, Ohio back through Missouri, Illinois, Iowa, temperatures above normal, deep south, well above normal. Um, the only uh, caveat would be, obviously, if we have, um, you know, that trough setting up in the middle of the country, that might end up keeping uh, the soil moisture there a little bit higher, which might end up preventing widespread 90s, or at least it might uh, prevent the, the feedback loop from occurring in the middle of the country. But yeah, I think for a large portion of the country, this is going to be a very hot summer. It's going to be above normal temperatures. Um, it might take a little while for this pattern to surface. I know it hasn't been all that warm as of yet. It's been warm in you know a couple of days here, a couple of days there. But you know, you know, if you if you and I were talking here in about you know six seven weeks, you know, this or June tenth, I think we'd start to see the pattern emerge that we're talking about. Are there any places in the USA, continental USA, that will be cooler than normal this summer? Well, that's a great question. I think up in New England, we might have, it might be a little bit lagging initially, but eventually that heat will start to spread up into New England. Um, You know, the Pacific Northwest, out West, you know, they have had, they have had temperatures, you know, that have been a little more um, tolerable. Something that we'll have to watch, you know, Um, it might not be a whole lot of the country that sees well, this has been a cool summer. You know, it might mm-hmm. not be a situation like that. It might be, you know, more places than not that have this type of heat. I still remember 2000. Uh, our son was three years old, three and a half years, no, three years old uh, at the time uh, because he turned three in, in June. We didn't have a single 90 degree day in Cleveland, zero. Uh, and it was it was warm-ish, and it was very humid. The dew points were very high, and we had a lot of cloud cover and a lot of thunderstorm days, not necessarily severe weather days. But that was a very strange summer. Uh, that was one that stands out in my mind as being one of those summers where we just could not hit 90 anywhere in the Ohio Valley. 
Yep, yep. In 1963 was the other year, I believe, that did not hit 90. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. Going back, you know, decades and decades ago. But yeah, it doesn't happen very often. I'm, if I remember correctly, five, six years ago, we had under 10 90 degree days. Uh, in my mm-hmm. in, I can't remember, 2016, 17. There have been a few lean years, you know, in recent memory. Um, you know, but 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 the, the non-lean years and the warm summers, the 90 degrees certainly out outnumber those, at least mm-hmm. in the last decade or so. OK, well, there you have it. Uh, we have unpacked what you saw on television on WJW last Thursday. And essentially, it's looking like a warmer than normal summer with a potentially a near normal a precipitation pattern, but we said to watch out for the month of July because typically with this pattern, July uh, has been the month uh, with the greatest number of severe weather days. So we'll see how that uh, pans out. Scott, maybe in July, right in the middle of this whole pattern, we can revisit this and uh, hopefully we won't need to tweak a thing. But with long-term patterns, as you know, most of the time we do end up tweaking somewhere. We do. Yeah, absolutely. They're formulated totally different than day-to-day forecasts. You know, we look around the world for these different clues and stuff. And you, everybody can follow me on Twitter, too. My name's Scott Sable, Fox, the number eight. You can follow me on there and click the little notification bell. I'll be posting, you know, all these statistical things when I have time during the morning show, you know, throughout the next several weeks. And you can follow me there. I'll post some stuff on there and feel free to ask me any questions. If I'll, I'll try to get to as many as I can. Give me your blog address, too, because you've got a great blog, and we'll also post a link on the show notes uh, for today's episode uh, so that people can just click on it. But for those who are just listening, what is your uh, blog address? If you go to Google and you type in my name, Scott Sable's World of Weather or Scott's World of Weather, it'll come right up there. I've had the blog since, I think, 2005, so I think Mm -hmm. this is like 16th or 17th year, and you know, do a search. I talked a lot about the psychology of a weather forecast, and, and, and that's kind of my other little thing. That we'll talk more about that later. But you know, the behavioral meteorology, you know, the psychology of the forecast, and 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 and, and perception and science, and we go over a whole bunch of different things there. Again, stuff you can't get to on TV because you don't have enough time. So, mm, right, right. Yeah. Well, uh, you beat me to the punch, Scott, because uh, I was going to. Um, alert the listeners to Weather Jazz that we're going to have you back on at some point. And the only topic that we're going to hit is the psychology of meteorology, not necessarily the short term, because you cover that too in your blog. But maybe let's talk about the psychology of the long range outlook, the summer outlook, the winter outlook, how people perceive it and what we have to do in order to make sure or communicate a, an accurate picture of what we think is, is going to be happening. That's pretty tough to do and a very tall order, isn't it? It is. Oh, absolutely. Because, you know, public perception is very powerful. You know, mm-hmm. I talk about, you know, how we perceive things is sometimes stronger than, that, than the weather that, that, that creates it. But, yeah, I'd love to come back and talk about it and talk about some of my findings. And, and we'll talk about your findings and, and maybe uh, also talk about, too, how the National Weather Service is changing the way that they communicate a lot of their watches and warnings because mm. of, of psychology and trying to, um, you know, make sure that the way that they communicate things benefits the viewer. That way we're not just creating nebulous ideas and people mm. don't know what's going on. So all of it dovetails into, you know, positive information for the viewer and for the general public as a whole. 
They delayed that uh, recently. I saw that they were not going to implement those changes that we talked about on Weather Jazz, I think, until mid-July now or something like that. Yeah, they were going to do it, and then they're like, you know what, we better back off a little bit. My guess is, and don't, don't quote me on this, some of the probably offices weren't ready. Some mm. offices, obviously, they have to implement things. You know, you know, if you live up in Montana, you're going to get different warnings and watches than we do here in Ohio or down in Florida. So I think they want to make sure everybody's on the same page and then, mm. uh, and then, uh, then launch it and, uh, you know, when everyone's ready. All right, let's have you back on. We'll talk about the psychology maybe in three to four weeks as uh, we begin to to look at June and we'll be able to perhaps even assess up to that point what's happening and uh, probably no tweaking at that point, but uh, we'll talk about the, the mindset, the psychology of the long range forecast and how we have to account for that. Uh, that'll be up and coming. Scott, thanks for being on. Always a very popular segment. Uh, tell your friends about it, uh, that uh, that we're addressing those long-range summer weather uh, outlook variables, and uh, we'll continue to monitor. Scott, uh, appreciate you joining us. Thanks again, Andre. Appreciate it. Looking forward to the next time. Well, I want to thank you first and foremost for bearing with me on some brand new equipment that I'm getting used to. And obviously, the settings on my Zoom call need to be changed just a little bit. I'm sure you could hear everything just fine, but it's not uh, up to the quality that I'm used to. But we will get there. I'm slowly but surely working on uh, really upping the game here on Weather Jazz and uh, getting it uh, right to the point where it is super easy and enjoyable to listen to, especially with those Zoom calls. So again, thank you for bearing with me today. Well, I hope you enjoyed today's episode on the Summer Weather Outlook. And if you know somebody who is interested in long-range forecasting, not only for Ohio, but really for the whole country, make sure that you tell them about Weather Jazz, but especially about this episode, episode number 185. And everything's available on the website, weatherjazz.com, but I'm also available via any podcast app that is out there and your favorite. Now, special thanks to those of you that continue to support and partner with Weather Jazz. From Vermont, Victoria Singer. From Ohio, Dale Osborne, Will and Tanya Krause and family, Christine Barnes, and Rose Moore. In Florida, Bill Martin. And in Tennessee, Andrea Rich. If you'd like to add your name to that list, it's easy to become a supporter. You'll find the links at the bottom of every episode's show notes, and you can partner at any one of three levels. And believe me, even the 99 cents a month means something to me. It says that you're watching, you're paying attention, and it helps me to expand and to improve this podcast technically and with equipment and with production value. If you have a question or a topic suggestion, I welcome your input. You can easily reach me at weatherjazz at yahoo.com. And now also via the voicemail at the Weather Jazz Podcast Audience Connect line, the number is 234-525-5888. And we'll see you on Wednesday. By the way, on Wednesday, I'm going to be addressing one particular question that 
I probably have seen a lot more of than any other question, at least here in Northeast Ohio, and it's this. Those of you that watch the WJW television weathercast notice that on one of our webcam time lapses, the Great Lakes Science Center, Curiosity Camera, the wind turbine, the one that generates power, has not been turning, and it's been pretty close to a year now. So in the next episode, I will address that. I found out why that isn't turning. And if uh, you have been curious, make sure that you tune in. And if you know somebody that has asked that same question, make sure that they are tuned in to the next episode of Weather Jazz. We'll release that on Wednesday of this week. And we'll see you then. Weather and science across the globe. Jazz Podcast!